Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with MSW Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Amanda Wiss. She's an actress. You've seen her in everything. Some of her films include Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She played Bradley's girlfriend, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Better Off Dead, Silverado. She's been in a number of television shows. She's so cool, and she's friends with Jodie Hamilton. So, of course, she's awesome people. We're going to talk mostly about her career and acting and all that good stuff. Maybe a little bit of a social issue thing, but we're not going to be heavily focusing on politics. We're just going to have a fun day. But before we get into our conversation, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup. And don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Amanda Wiss. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you for having me. As I hit my computer and probably made a noise. But I'm so excited <laughs> to have you because, okay, let me just say, I know you're friends with Jodie Hamilton, and Jodie Hamilton is so loved on this show. And, uh, you know, you and I were following each other on Twitter, and it's funny, my friend, uh, my friend, my boyfriend, Bob Suska, uh, you know, Jodie's on his show every week, and I, I think when you started following me, I, I I was like, look who's following me. <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> and, and so we're always talking about uh, you and Jody. And, you know, I think Jody is also friends with uh, some people who, some different actors who are on Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I'm excited to talk to you, too, because... Um, just from social media, I'm such a huge fan of yours, oh, and you. um, <laughs> and so when when this came about, I was very excited. <laughs> well, and I and I know that uh, I wanted to specifically ask you about your career because your career is incredible, and of course, I have my own personal questions. But you've just been <laughs> working forever, and you've been in everything, and so. Um, I have a lot to ask you, and we might get to some politics. I've, you know, I've included some political questions, just in case we don't fill up the time. But you know, I figured we'd talk about your career, maybe throw in a, a few social issues. But just so everybody knows, I mean, I, I said it in the intro, but I mean, you've got this IMBD list that just goes on for miles. You've been working in the industry since the 1980s. You've done television, you've done film, you've done it all, and it's incredibly impressive. And it's just something, I mean, I used to be an actor, and anybody who would take a look at what you've accomplished would, who wants to be an actor would think, well, that's, I mean, outside of you know, being like, I don't know, Meryl Streep, your your career is something that so many people lust after and want because you just have all this consistent work. And I've got all these questions prepared. <laughs> so I'm going to start off okay. with the fact that I, now I think you, I read that you were uh, raised in Manhattan Beach. Is that correct? Yes. So what oh, was I... that like for you being, I, I grew up in, I, I experienced four years in Torrance, California, so I'm familiar with the area. So what was it like for you growing up in Manhattan Beach? Oh, my gosh. First of all, that's so funny, Torrance, because that, especially, you know, when I grew up there, 
um, you know, a thousand years ago, um, it was a, it was a really small, close community, all those little beach towns. Um, and, but literally it was like growing up in a beach boy song. Yeah, and, and they, you know, <laughs> were from Carson, and right there. I mean, they're a little bit older than me, but not, you know, yeah, you know. So like, they, it was just, it was, it was really, like, I, I mean, I was, it, I, my family, we weren't very sophisticated. I was like a total rube. Um, <laughs> I could have been like from just anywhere. I, you know, I didn't go on an airplane till I was 17. Right, um, yeah. I thought Hollywood was like a day's drive away. I, I just literally <laughs> um, wasn't <laughs> very sophisticated. <laughs> But it was fantastic growing yeah. up. You know, we were outdoors the whole time mm-hmm. and always at the beach mm-hmm. and, you know, always tan and roller skating and <laughs> playing volleyball. And, I mean, it was just a very athletic, outdoorsy, um, you know, pretty wholesome, aside yeah. from all the teen drinking, uh, <laughs> pretty wholesome upbringing <laughs> and, and drugs. Yes. Aside from the teen drinking and drugs, yes. um, it was a super wholesome upbringing. Yeah, been there, been there, done that. It's funny because I had, I mean, my mom moved me around my whole life. I Up until, I think, well, we moved to Torrance when I was 15, and up until I think it was 10th grade, I had never lived anywhere for more than two years. So, and I had lived oh, wow. in Silver Lake and Laurel Canyon and LA proper and just all over. And so when, and, and we had been living in Hollywood and there was just this particular, like real quick, I'll just say I had a friend and unfortunately her, her single mother was raped and her single oh. mother, my mom felt sorry for this woman. She didn't like her. But she felt sorry for her, and we all wound up living together in Hollywood in this house. Actually, right up, the, if you know where Dharma Greb is, I think AFI is on the other side of it. Yeah. It's that Stanley Street. We lived on Stanley. And at that particular time, there were, like, hookers in front of seven the 7-Eleven that was right down the street. And my girlfriend and I, I think we were, like, 13, 14 years old. We were, you know, like, pimps were talking to us. <laughs> it was just not a very good situation for a young girl. So my mother decided, okay, I'm going to take her down with this horrible situation with our roommate. So my mom moved us to Torrance because it was just like you said, so wholesome. And I loved it. And it was so funny because it was, it's like everything you said, it was the beach experience. It was kind of like, I never thought about it, but it was like growing up in a Beach Boy song. I had four years of it, but it, it was so wonderful. And then eventually when I was older, I think I was like I, gra- I was just graduating from high school and my mother decided to move back up to Hollywood and I, I was so disappointed and I was like where this Torrance is a little piece of heaven <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I had a lot of fun in Hollywood but anyway so I totally know what that was must have been like for you plus you're like the total California blonde beach girl type and so you would fit in just perfectly <laughs> um, okay Oh wait, go ahead. Did you have anything? No, to no, say? no, no. I, well, I was going to say my, my younger sister um, is like a fair, fair, fair-skinned redhead, mm-hmm. and um, you know, back when we were kids, the the only sunblock that was even invented, I think, was sea and ski, and it was a seven. <laughs> and um, how she isn't just wow. riddled with <laughs> the horribleness because 
she's so beautiful Aww. and she just had this little like white 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 yeah. skin and you know and she always was like I just want to get tan I'm like stop it you're never gonna tan it's not gonna happen <laughs> so okay let me ask you when did you want like when did you start acting when did you know you wanted to be an actor um my my older sister uh was at UCLA and she decided to major in theater arts, um, which was just not even something on any of our hmm. radar really. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, so I was, I was, I don't know, nine or 10 when she was at UCLA. And, um, and she, I went to see a couple of plays that she did like the prime of Miss Jean Brody and hmm. these, it just, I was really young and I went, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> and so I just, I asked her if she could help me audition for a play because there was a, a theater in LA that was doing The Innocence by William Inge. And so she drove me there and I auditioned and I got it. Wow. And um, so that that was just amazing. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I was working with these wonderful older actors and, and it was double cast because we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just turned out to be the most amazing experience to to uh, sort of unzip my own skin and step into someone else's hmm. skin suit and and know hmm. what that try to find the truth and reality wow. in, in in that circumstance and then the following year I think I was eleven or eleven I played at the same theater I did the Bad Seed I played Rhoda and hmm. there was a, a one night my dad came to see it. Um, and there was a, the, a reviewer from the LA Times behind him, and uh, the story goes that he leaned over to his companion and said, I wouldn't let that little bitch in my house for all the money in the world. Wow. <laughs> so, I know, so my dad was like, well, she's doing a good job. <laughs> so, that's awesome. So that's when I knew. I, I just, I knew if I, if I could fool the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I really... I loved memorizing the lines. Hmm. I loved the rehearsal process. And I loved watching the older actors and hearing their stories. And um, and this, this on a side note, it makes me, I, f- I feel for younger actors coming up now and filmmakers mm-hmm. in general, because they don't have the same desire to uh, hear the lore from older actors hmm. or writers or directors they for some reason you know i think i think everything's so readily available on google that mm-hmm. that they can get a fact and they don't need a personal story attached mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. um because i found that i learned so much about acting from wow. sitting around listening to actors tell stories about plays they did and and years in summer stock and and working on movies with so and so and and you know, and up until cell phones, everybody would sit around on sets. You know, mm-hmm. on your set, even mm-hmm. for the most part, you communicated with other actors a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Um, I guess everything changes, so there's going to yeah. be good and bad with everything. But yeah, that whole, you know, what I remember when I was little, and I didn't have any idea at this point what I wanted to do. But a friend of mine was in a play. And I saw it and I, I was, I mean, I enjoyed the play, 
But what really like struck me was after the play, there was that camaraderie between the actors. And because I had the opportunity, my friend was in the play, I had the opportunity to kind of go with her and watch all the other actors interact. And I saw this camaraderie that was just so appealing and it was so very specific to creativity. And it was like all these people have to trust each other. And then once they come together, they, they do this, this performance and they trust each other. And when they're finished, it's this huge accomplishment. And then there is this, like, I don't know, this amazing feeling of gratitude, of unity, of family. And that was so appealing to me. Is that another part of the aspect of acting that, that drew you in? Yes. So well said. And, you know, I came from a very disruptive family and um yeah you know it started when I was a kid my my older brother passed away from an illness Mm. and and just things sort of fell apart and people left and you know it was a very disrupted um you know fearful Mm -hmm. I felt very lost a lot of the time um and as a kid being in that play I felt so nurtured and seen hmm. and, and, and it mattered. Mm-hmm. It mattered that I showed up. Yeah. Like people knew where I was. Like I had accountability where, you know, I think a lot of my home life, I, I felt that nobody would even know whether I was there. Wow. <laughs> and so it was just neat to have that connection with people. And, and that, um, it was important that I was important to the process that right. we were all involved in, but you're right. It, it was, it was a, you know, it's a, it's the family of choice mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in any given, you know, yeah. production that you do. And, and, um, and I still love that to this yeah. day. I love that feeling of, you know, that camaraderie and work family. Yeah. That's definitely, I think one of the best parts of it that in my experience, um, now, you said that you just went and auditioned for this play. You had no um, training prior to that? No. Wow, none. that's I amazing. I mean, other than I played uh, Snoopy in the fourth grade <laughs> production of the Peanuts when I was, you know, <laughs> that's awesome, in Miss Henderson's class at Grandview Elementary. Um. <laughs> now, did, now uh, did you learn, did you ever study acting uh, formally? Did you, was your education on the stage? How did that go? Um, I did study formally and, and I have on and off my entire career just because, you know, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm having a year where I'm not working very much, it's Mm -hmm. nice to have a place to go and Mm -hmm. put up some scenes and Mm -hmm. get some, you know, um, well-loved critiques. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody likes being critiqued, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I took theater in Mm -hmm. high school and then I, um, after high school, I studied for two years at the at Lee Strasberg Institute oh, okay. um, in Hollywood, and Sally um, Kirkland was my teacher. Oh, how she fascinating! Was one of my teachers. I yeah. worked with her on Days of Our Lives. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, she was intense. I bet. As, you know, especially to my you know, eighteen year old eyes, she was just so <laughs> intense. Like she, she intense. She was very much that you had to be in complete control of your body because it was your tool for everything and you know to you know you know if you're going to cry you you need to be able to shed a tear out of your right eye and then your left eye or both eyes (laughs) really much that you had to be in control of your instrument right and um you know uh, 
you can make yourself throw up on stage. Um, just wow. things like that that um, were, were a little intense. But um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> but we're still friends, and I adore her. And then later, I studied with um, Larry Moss, okay, and, who's wonderful. And then, um, what kind of acting I, does he teach? His is it's 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 a hybrid. I would say it's it's not as much the sense memory and stuff as um you know Strasberg mm-hmm. was it, it was more a hybrid uh, but it would use that and he would do things to get you distracted out of your head and, mm. and it was a little Meisner-ish it was mm-hmm. um but it was it was closer to Strasberg than not hmm. and then I recently for years studied with this wonderful, wonderful teacher here in LA named Stuart Rogers, and his is a definite hybrid of imagination work mm-hmm. and um, and you know, uh, you know, having it, it, it's just a fantastic class and wow. a lot of scene study. And the funny thing was because I was had a mad crush in high school mm-hmm. on Al Pacino, and one <laughs> and he studied with Strasberg, so yeah. come on, right? Exactly. And so uh, <laughs> I watched him on the actor at the actor studio once, and he was talking about how he had done all the you know that those techniques and sense memory and dredging things up and doing all this work, and then one day he went. I'm just going to use my imagination. <laughs> and I thought it was so funny because I literally had started studying with a t- teacher, Stuart Rogers, who was like, just use your imagination. Yeah, Which, wow. um, so, you know, but I have all those tools in my toolbox right. from all the other things I learned. And, um, and they're great because, you know, often, especially like in television and you're moving so fast, I just find you have to have a lot of tools in your toolbox mm-hmm. because sometimes there's a scene that you don't know how to make it work and you need to be able to mm-hmm. go go someplace in you <laughs> that can access something to do and make that scene work so you can help tell the story right in my yeah opinion. do you this is just a random question I just thought of but do you feel like because you've I mean I, I studied Meisner and with Meisner um, there is something called repetition and basically you're just looking at the I mean there's all forms of doing repetition because you can do an improv repetition uh, with a theme but then you can also just start it like and you, you're both standing there and you're looking at each other in each other's eyes and, and you start off with something and so that could be like I feel nervous and then you would say back to me you feel nervous I feel nervous you have to repeat it at least once and you have to only focus on emotions what I'm feeling what I think you're feeling or I could I you know I you or I could if we were going to do it together that it would be recognizing something you know you look worried or something physical about them but out but for instance if you just say fuck you uh like when if somebody in my acting class was doing something like that my my coach would say conversational and mainly what you had to say was I'm angry with you because fuck you doesn't mean anything but I'm angry with you and so what I'm leading up to is because I've had this training, I feel like I have, I, it's almost like studying human psychology. And I know that obviously Meisner is one way to do it. But what I have found is that I'm really, really, really good at reading people in real life. And sometimes it's very, it, it, it can be frustrating because I can read people so well and they don't necessarily read themselves so well. And I feel like I understand more about them than they do, psychologically speaking, and it can be frustrating. And I don't know if you've <laughs> ever had that experience. Um, first of all, that's 
really fascinating and <laughs> I didn't know that about you um, but I had taken a Meisner workshop and so I, I didn't end up taking the whole class but I I thought the repetition was amazing I never took it far enough to really get it I'd go see was it Spoon River was the play yes, they always did yes, here yes. Like Playhouse West, yeah. and I would just love how real everybody was and but I can totally see that in those repetition practices or exercises, you really are, I mean, you're reading your own emotion, but mm -hmm. you're really focused on the other person. Mm -hmm. And I think for acting, also it translate to, translates to real life. I think often um, actors know their lines and they're just waiting for you to speak so they can right. speak. Yeah. And I think Meisner is great at making you be so focused on listening to mm -hmm. the other person mm -hmm. that your responses just become so organic yes. and and um but i think sometimes as actors because we are observers all the mm -hmm. time we 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 can tend to see pe who people are mm -hmm. i mean i i i think i mean maybe not always but right. i think that um I'm just going to say I'm um, a thousand times. I think <laughs> so that. I. That's fine. <laughs> I think that we all are capable of reading people. There's what those books, like the tipping point in those books that say people read you in 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. they, they know yes. who you are. And it's a great lesson for actors going on auditions or, or just people showing up in life that when we're not authentic, people feel it. They do, mm -hmm. may, they may, they might not know why they don't like us or why they're uncomfortable, but it, it's that it's that hmm. we can read each other on some animal level. Right. And, totally, and yeah. somebody's, you know, I mean, I used to do it. I, I used to think, oh, it'd be so much cooler if I did this. And I'd walk into a room and people are like, next. And, you know, you you just, I work because what I have is unique to me. And if I try to be or do anything different, it's inauthentic. And, right. and it doesn't mean I can't play other characters. But, you know, on auditions, the first, when you walk in, if I'm like, oh, I'm so cool, because I'm not, I'm like such a doofus that um, it just makes people uncomfortable. Comfortable. <laughs> They're like, why is she lying, walking in the room, lying? <laughs> How interesting. It's just, I loved, you know, my experience with it. I was in a Meisner studio for eight years, and, and I just, oh, I, wow. I loved it so much. And I, I actually loved that more than I loved the business. And I didn't get far enough into the business to have the experience of fully loving the business. I got, you know, it's funny because after I left, I like, I made a decision to leave my acting studio and then I thought I might get back into it, and I never really did. But I met this woman who got invited to all these Hollywood parties. I always call them like the Hollywood B-listers. Occasionally, I went to A-list <laughs> parties, but it was mostly like the B-listers. And I, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because I just felt that Hollywood was full of shit. And and I liked I like I would tell people. I would lie and say I was 40 just to watch the shock on their face that I would be on. You know, I was like 34 <laughs> at the time. And because I'm tall and I'm, I was six feet tall, I weighed and, and I was quite slender, uh, but I weighed like 150 pounds, big bones and everything. And I would tell everybody that I weighed 150 pounds just again, <laughs> just to watch them completely freak out. And it was it was kind of freeing for me because I, I my entire existence as an actor uh, I loved the process. I lo I loved. I took it seriously. I showed up on time to my auditions. I, I made sure that I was dressed appropriately, had my lines. I was always 
taking it seriously, and I loved my acting studio, but I think the thing that got in my way was my opinion of myself, because I was, I, I am six feet tall, I have broad shoulders, I'm, I have big bones, and I didn't fit the Hollywood mold, and I think I just, I hated my body so much, and, and I also dealt with acne, so it was like acne, and not being as thin as I wanted to be, and not being as small as most of the actresses were, I just spent so much time hating myself, and I, like, when you talk about that energy, I think, like, people read that energy from me, and they weren't necessarily sure what to do with me, and I didn't stay in it, you know, I decided to leave, and, and then it's funny, because when I left, I look back, and I'm so grateful for that experience, and I'm almost grateful that I didn't get anywhere farther, because I think I would have, I mean, I developed an eating disorder, and, I, you know, I was so hard on myself. I can't imagine what I would have done to myself if I had actually become successful and the, the pressure. And that's what I want to ask you about. As a woman in this business, um, what kinds of pressures have you felt, whether, it, whether it, it's about body image or sexism? And you don't have to name names or anything like that, but just general, uh, b basically generalities of this business. As a woman, like, what are the big takeaways, good and bad? Well, <clears throat> the, hearing you say that about, you, you know, the, the feelings and thoughts you had about yourself, I, it just is so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's it's goes beyond the industry. It's society. Yeah. Um, I, oh, my gosh. I used to have people, and I'm pretty thin, would be like, you know, She's too athletic, or oh she's too God. this. And then, when I, if I was really thin, there, you know, people would be like, "Now she looks sickly." Yeah. And so it was just always this weird thing about how I looked. Yeah. And and I think that, I mean, on a large scale, I mean, society does that to women, and then yes. the entertainment industry just takes it and runs. And I remember being like 26, and my agent saying, "Well, if you don't get a big break soon, it's over." Oh my God. Yeah. Like that's not, nothing's going to happen for your career. And I, I was like, well, I just want to be a journeyman actor. You know, I don't, I don't have to be the lead in things. Mm -hmm. I just want to do, I want to do character work. They're like, you're too pretty for character work, which isn't true. <laughs> no. um, and I've, it's, I've made my whole career, yes. you know, being, being the, the friend or, you know, the, the crazy murderer or the, <laughs> the crazy person who gets murdered or the the senator's wife but she used to be a hooker um you know the, the loving mom who's also a heroin addict but um I, I never so i don't know what that says about me but i never i never play a character that's just straight that's straight up right. anything she's always like there's always some like crazy secret but anyway i think that yes yeah i never felt pretty enough i it was so much scrutiny and like mm -hmm. what happened to you when i was in my 30s i got adult acne and i remember i was working on a tv show in canada and people were just so unkind about it wow. like during my lunch hour they would bring me to the set and the gaffer and the dp would be like bitching about how 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 the hell they were going to try to light me and, oh my god you know and stuff and i was just like do i need to be here for this just like right. put a whiteboard up there with red dots on it <laughs> try to make it look better <laughs> but um i think it's hard to maintain a sense of self when you start really young as well mm -hmm. and you started it sounds like very young and i definitely started young i mean because from an early age mm -hmm. 
I had to be accountable for my talent, but it was a lot about how I looked and mm-hmm. it always felt I was falling short or disappointing people or, you know, getting horrible feedback from people about, you didn't get that part because you're not pretty enough. Like oh who tells God. a teenager that? Wow. It's just mean. And I think that society does that too. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, they, they've done studies that a, a prettier, you know, woman will get the job over, yes. uh, you know, and, and, we do make it hard on like a tall woman mm-hmm. who's gorgeous and Amazonian. And I would aspire to that because I've just got the, I've got the tiny Irish, the tiny <laughs> Irish leprechaun look. <laughs> but I think that, um, I think that this business also, everybody's patting themselves on the back right now about mm-hmm. like, Oh, there's so many streaming platforms and there's all this stuff. And so many women are working. Well, you know what? It's all the same women. Mm-hmm. It's there's, there's, there's like 10 women in their forties and fifties and they're all on like 10 TV shows. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, occasionally somebody like me gets to do an episode. Mm-hmm. And so I just call bullshit on yeah. all of that. And yeah. that people aren't like, I'm not even reading for all these cool new shows because they're straight up offers to the same 10 women that do all of them. So I just think we haven't made any progress. We just have spread it out further. Mm. And instead of it being like one anointed woman, it's now 10. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I don't think we're making a lot of progress. I mean, I guess it is progress, but I haven't felt it. Um, Like, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they're like, God, you must go on so many auditions. And I'm like, I don't, mm-hmm. there's one, there's only two casting companies that call me in wow. of all the casting directors out there. And you just go, wow, this business is so hard on it your, is. you know, just to keep going. But the people that do love me offer me great roles. And, and I'm super stoked about that because I just love doing what I do. I just love it. I just on, on from soup to nuts. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, I talked to Kirsten Warren. I don't know if you know, she is, I can't speak. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, she was on the show and she was talking about how, because she's in her fifties now, you know, back in the day in her twenties and thirties, of course she was, you know, going on tons of auditions a week and now she gets maybe one or two a month. And it's because of her age and, you know, and it's, it's just, it's so, and even her husband, Kirk Acevedo, you know, I mean, it's like, I've had him on my show and I've had Vincent D'Onofrio on my show. I love both of those guys, but Vincent D'Onofrio is a white male and he is, I mean, I swear to God, that every time you turn around, he's got 50 <laughs> new movies coming out. And Kirk, yeah. who is also a very good actor, who is Puerto Rican, you know, it's totally different, the kind of roles that he's offered. You know, we like to think that Hollywood is so liberal, but it's really not so liberal. <laughs> it loves to stereotype no, it, it you. Isn't an, and it is hard, you know, get it. Well, first of all, like, I really wish I could fully embrace the, I love who I am today so my age is great and Mm -hmm. and I mean and I do to some extent but it is you know harder Mm -hmm. because the in the sense of work because even women my age and I'm in my 60s is that you're you know they still want a 40 year old playing Mm -hmm. the 60 year old yes (laughs) something I can't quite figure it out or they're like well you don't look old enough to and I'm like but I am, and I do have a, I represent some, you know, yeah. part of the people that are 60. So, um, 
uh, I'm getting used to saying I'm 60. That's why I'm announcing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I wanted to roll off my tongue like right. you at the party saying you're 40 when you weren't, but I am actually 60. Um, but I, I, I just think, yeah, you know, I'm like, I thought this would be the years I'd be playing like the kooky grandma or the right. crazy aunt. And, and then I see the shows and it's, it's, um, I don't even know. It's there. There's again, there's like, 10 people that do all the parts. Exactly. I'm not one of them. I'm not on the short list for some reason. Wow. And I mean, God, we're going to get to your movies in a minute because I have questions, but there's so many other things I'm thinking about. (laughs) I watched um, there. I think it's called the dark side of the nineties. I think that's, it's on Hulu and it's this documentary. It's not really dark, dark, but basically it's just a whole bunch of themes and it's a documentary. So one of the shows that I watched recently was television and it focused primarily on Baywatch. And I thought it was fascinating because here I was, I started pers- like I, I started to study acting around 1990, 91. And my, my studio, it was like a two and a half year course. So I didn't want to start auditioning before I knew what I was doing. And I didn't, so I'd say maybe my auditioning years started around 1993, 1994-ish or whatever. So that's when I was really in the thick of it and really wanting it and feeling the pressures and so this this show was focusing on other shows, but primarily Baywatch, talking about how Pamela Anderson coming onto that show and then all of a sudden getting breast implants. It all, all over the United States, teenage girls or not teenage college age girls and older were getting not I think it like went up 500 percent. And then not only that, wow. the size of the implants were up 40% basically to match her size. And then interestingly enough, when she decided to leave and then had her breast implants taken out, a whole bunch of those people also had theirs taken out. (laughs) And so it just goes to show you how we are like a nation of freaking sheep following people we admire. But one of the things that I remember I so desperately, because of my body image, and again, I was slender, but I was never skinny. Like I... I had I've had Kristen Johnston on the show from Third Rock and I auditioned to be her stand in um, when Third Rock was just not even it was called life as we know it. And I didn't want the fucking job. I just I I got it was a thing where I could audition for these roles uh, in in um, union and I was not in a union and my whole goal was to get a SAG card. So you had to have three auditions and her that audition was, I think, my last one. And I didn't want the job. But here she was. She was also six feet tall. And, I, you know, I mean, when I was my thinnest and felt my best, I was 150. They wanted me to be 125. And I'm sure Kristen was closer to that. I think she was probably close. She's probably like 130 because her bones are smaller. And it all sounds so ridiculous and petty to worry about this. But it was everything in my eyes. It was like I felt like she had the ideal tall body and if I had a body like hers I would be more successful and yeah. you know the Ally McBeal show was on and Callista Flockhart which I believe is probably a naturally thin woman was so thin and there was like the size zero came up in our generation and I mean I could never I wore size 10 I, I, I could, yeah. even when I was so skinny and as I think I, the lowest weight I ever got to was like 147. And I had, literally I had, it's like you were saying, I had people coming up to me and saying, Kimberly, you look wrong. 
something's wrong with you. You're too skinny. Because my bones are yeah. so big that I can't get that thin because it looks it doesn't it doesn't look attractive. It just looks wrong. And I wanted yeah. to write a, a book and I remember I wanted to call it <coughs> diet and I wanted to use the T as like a knife, like <laughs> to represent like we're dying here to be skinny and it was just so difficult and I you know I mean this generation Gen X generation is I th you know I mean every generation is hard on themselves there have been thin women in acting forever but I think it really started getting crazy in the 90s with heroin chic and so and then and then it just like morphed into putting you know fillers in your face and stretching your face and when I was 28 years old I know this is an interview isn't about me but I just like talking it's like so interesting to talk to you but when I was 28 I was a smoker like a fucking idiot and I remember I looked in the rearview mirror and I noticed that I had uh, smile lines which I've always had but I never noticed them and I I was like oh and I thought, this is because I'm smoking and I have to stop smoking. And then I became obsessed with these fucking lines on my face that I've had since I was basically a kid. You know, it's like the way yeah. my sh face is shaped. It didn't really mean I was old. It just mean it just meant that that's how my face was shaped. But it's like I can't even imagine um, what it's like to have a lifetime in that. I mean, granted, like, you know, you're saying you're very pretty and you're naturally thin and but still even you. Like, no one would think, looking at you, that anyone would have anyone to complain about with your physical appearance. Like, you just fit the mold, but yet you still did. Oh, yeah. And you know what? You hit so many points so perfectly. Um, every every era, I think, it, the entertainment industry and magazines hold a certain look up to the rest of the world. And then, ever, you know, then, like, we're just trained as women to mm -hmm. want to live up to yes. whatever it is that is before us. And, oh my gosh, in the eighties, I, you know, I, you know, first of all, everybody had big boobs and, <laughs> and when I was coming up eighties and nineties and I'm completely flat chested, <laughs> um, sports bras are too big. And <laughs> I just, <laughs> and so every show was about padding a bra and things. And wow, <clears throat> at yeah. some point, I was like, this is just it. Like, I have a nice butt. I have a, I have a, I have a pretty big round butt. You're just gonna have to like deal with that's my, those are my curves. That's it. Just on the backside. But it's hard. Like, you make deals with yourself. Like, like now, you know, so many people are, have already had multiple facelifts yeah. by my age, and mm -hmm. their eyes done, and you know, chemical peels and all that stuff. And I think it's all fantastic. Mm -hmm. People should 100% do what makes them happy. Mm -hmm. But in, in an industry that, you know, supposedly represents, and now we're trying to be representative of minorities, and, mm -hmm. and um, how about representation of what an actual woman? Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. It's like, how can that I think that the, you know, away? like how you were saying, the young kids are and now with Instagram models and mm, everybody yes. uses a filter. I made myself stop using filters like two years ago. I was like, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. the love of God, I could be a grandmother. Just like, <laughs> let it go. And, um, and it's so freeing. It's freeing. Yeah. And, um, but it's not, it's, I just, I don't have children. 
I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I just feel for my nieces live world wants them to be airbrushed, mm-hmm. yes, and to be and to have inflated everything, mm-hmm. and that people look like cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. They don't want to look like a cat, um, and and uh, and like your forehead doesn't move or whatever. Right. And again, people should do. It's life is hard. Yeah, do what floats your boat. Make yourself happy. Yeah, I'm just talking specifically, like in the entertainment industry, though we just don't represent in my opinion, what a real woman looks like. And, and when we do see somebody on screen that you can tell hasn't, you know, frozen their face or whatever, it's such a delight Mm -hmm. to feel that mirrored back. And, and it makes me feel hopeful because it's, it's hard, but aging is hard in my opinion, um, in a world that doesn't value older people and that wants to, put women out to pasture because mm-hmm. you're not fuckable anymore mm-hmm. um in their you know in their you know the 20 year olds that are now running the studios they're like ew <laughs> right he's older than my grandmother yeah um so it's just like i think it's it's kind of hard and and then there's a part of me that's gotten sassier and more mm-hmm. comfortable in my own skin mm-hmm. and i mean and it's a long hard-fought battle because yes, it of is. the world that we live in and the industry we live in and you know and I mean the former ugh, fucktard who was in office <laughs> um just the way he talked about women and yeah. you know wanting to fuck his daughter and mm-hmm. and all these things he talked about that's super representative of a whole lot of people and so on top of him making my skin crawl to the point where mm-hmm. Stephen who I live with knew that we, that we had mute it if his voice came on because it yeah. made me apoplectic it yeah. made it sent me into a rage and i couldn't even explain to steven the rage because it was some female animal caveman <laughs> lizard brain <laughs> anger yeah. of of just being completely um uh reduced to something some disgusting pervert wants to look at and touch yes it's it it, it makes me feel unsafe Mm -hmm. it's it's and it's all happening all around us right now uh, you know with the supreme court and with everything Mm -hmm. it's like i don't understand how we live in a country and for the most part a world that completely is terrified of women so much that they have to devalue us Mm -hmm. in some way in order for their dicks to get hard i don't understand it it freaks me out yes and i and the entertainment industry is a microcosm of that in many ways and then in many ways not but i just i i think that there are people out there doing really great shows with and for a female audience, mm-hmm. but um, not there enough. Needs, in yeah, my there opinion. needs to be more. Yeah, and I'm only speaking about female, not minorities. And right, there's a lot of places in this industry that we need to do better. Yes, <laughs> and and be more representative and tell truthful stories, and um, 
in, I don't know. Now I'm rambling. <laughs> well, <laughs> now I went off on a that's tangent. That's the sorry. whole point. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was my ramble, my, my unladen ramble. Okay, well, since since I do want to <clears throat> cover some of the things that you've done, and I haven't yet, because I could just talk to you all day about a million different <laughs> subjects, but so was, was Fast Times at Ridgemont High like the biggest? I, I, I'm sure you acted before that, but was that the, the big break thing that you got? Um, yes. I mean, I'd done a couple TV pilots that hadn't gone, and um, I'd done a, <laughs> a, a rock star of a movie called Force Five um, uh. that was uh, directed by Robert Klaus, who had directed Enter the Dragon. Mm. And so I was super excited, yeah. too, because I was very into martial arts growing up. Wow. And, um, and still, one of my guilty pleasures is watching martial art m- movie starring like Jeff Speakman and Cynthia Rothrock. So just <laughs> anybody else out there that they will know, they'll know that I really do like them. Right. Um, but uh, this movie, it was horrible <laughs> and um, it was, it was hilarious. And I literally wore a sheet that had been sewn into like a toga thing. Cause I was, I was kidnapped and kept in a cult. But anyway, so my next film after that <laughs> was fast times. Wow. Such a big step up. And it was so much fun. And um, my audition had just been an improv with um, Judge Reinhold mm. in, in front of Amy um, and the Carrie Frazier, who was the casting director. And it was just so much fun. And we got to rehearse, which, oh, you know, cool, yeah. back in the day, studio movies, you had time to rehearse. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was real comfortable with that coming from you know, drama school and doing plays that it was just such a, I'm so shocked when <laughs> that was kind of the last film I ever had really? rehearsals on. Wow. And, um, it was just such a luxury to do mm-hmm. improv with all the other actors and, and, um, and, you know, really live it before we actually started filming. And that was really <laughs> exciting. And, um, it was just, it was just a wonderful experience. And I'm some sure, of us are yeah. still friends from that. And, uh, yeah, so it was it was really exciting. Art Linson produced it, who's now producing Yellowstone in 1883. Right. And I really, really wish he would come back around to me for those jokes because <laughs> I really like them. Wow. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know I do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I'd really like to do your shows. Um, but it, it was just, it was a really great experience. And uh, and I feel like Cameron Crowe really captured, you know, the beach life of a yes. teenager. I mean, you know that. Yeah. You, 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 you lived it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really, I, well, first, okay, first I'm going to tell my little story, but then I want to ask you about Sean Penn. But I think okay. it's funny because I wrote a book called Peyton's Choice, and basically it's about a teenager who has an abortion. And, you know, I, I kind of modeled the idea. It was, the story was a little bit more about just teen romance and first boyfriends and having sex for the first time and one like the first real book I ever read was Forever by Judy Bloom. I don't know if did you ever read that book? No, I haven't read that one. Uh, it was just, you know, it was Michael and Kath and they had sex and it, oh, I was 10 when I not yeah, I was 10 and it was it was written by Judy Bloom. So it was yeah. basically for, you know, young people. I was a little young, but I was so fascinated. And anyway, I also, though, wanted, you know, I wanted to kind of take from forever and actually read forever again before I wrote my book. But one of the other inspirations was Fast Times because Jennifer Jason Lee in that in that role, 
had an abortion. And the best, I think, the best part of that storyline was that it really wasn't a big deal. It was just something that was available to her, and it informed teenagers like me. I'm 53 now. Um, when I watched that movie, I just recognized that that was my right, and it was available to me. And I yeah. never knew anything different. I was born in 1968, so you know I think uh, I was very young when it became legal, and it was just natural for me. And growing up my mother was always liberal I have a single mom but you know just never even an issue and so I wanted to be able to write a book in a similar vein as far as a young girl making this decision and having all the freedom to make that decision but I really like that but so anyway I just had to throw that out there and also I'm pitching my book (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna read your book now I I did not know that and I'm gonna read it well you know what's interesting I, I did I said it in Torrance and um, I, I have the backdrop of everything there. I had a group of three friends, and we were best friends, the four of us. And even though, A, I've never been pregnant, um, and yes, I did set this as my backdrop, a lot of it is really based on my experience, just slight tweaks here and there, you know, so that's yeah. just fun to know. But I want to know, so obviously, there were, I remember <laughs> That scene, I think you were just sitting behind Sean Penn when he got the pizza. Um, yes. I think so. So, when just curiously, because I freaking love, I mean, everyone loves Sean Penn in that movie. He's so fucking yeah. funny. And, I mean, I love that movie so much. My boyfriend and I watch it at least once a year. And um, <laughs> it's so much fun. I fucking love that movie. But um, Sean Penn is just brilliant did did you recognize when you were working with him his brilliance what did you think of him then um yes I recognized that he just had access to an inner life that was huge and (laughs) real and authentic (laughs) and funny and he was inspiring to watch and to be in scenes with and he just he had a lot of freedom he didn't he didn't censor himself, which I think as an actor, it's that's such a mm-hmm. great thing to aspire to because, you know, we all have that inner critic that will yeah. stop it. You know, you don't want to look foolish or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your inner blockades are. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> he, he was, yes, you could just see he was just free and wild and that that was going to take him places right you know it was just so authentic and so real and and I always found him to be very charming and very nice he was very nice to me wow well and he so reminds me of so many of I I don't know if you're familiar with South High on Pacific (laughs) Coast Highway but that is the high school that I graduated from and he totally represents so many it was like a surfer a surfer stoner school. I mean, obviously yeah, the people. Isn't that where he went to school? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I don't know if he, he went to South High. I went to West High in the tenth grade, oh. and then I went. Oh to... no, he went to Santa Monica High. Oh okay. Um, but I yeah, I had the opportunity to go to. I don't know if you're at all familiar with West High and Torrance, but that was fucking crazy because everybody. I had never in my life experienced a school where. I mean, popularity is a thing in every school. It was off the charts in the school. And it was about how you looked and how you dressed and everybody had their role. You were either new romantic or you were, um, you know, like a rocker or, and you had to fit in one of those molds and it was just crazy. But then I went to South High 
And I remember there was this kid in my school named Tyler. And I mean, he was basically our Jeff Spicoli, you know, <laughs> I mean, like every every city in Cal or every town in California, especially the beach towns, had Jeff Spicoli, at least one of them. And it's just it's so funny. And God, I can only imagine how much fun it would be. To, uh, what was it like? Did you happen to work with Phoebe Cates? Because I know you didn't have any scenes together. At least you, I don't remember any. No, no, I didn't work with her, but we all hung out. Mm -hmm. I mean, because obviously this was so long ago, pre-cell phones. Right. Um, we all hung out together in between scenes and talked and, you know, and I, Phoebe was so exotic because she was mm -hmm. such a famous teen model and she lived in New York and she <laughs> dated an older man. And I just, I was just like, oh, and she's stunning, yes. gorgeous so sweet and kind and thoughtful and you know and Jennifer was so lovely mm -hmm. and it was really fun to um you know because we were all kids and it yeah. was a really fun you know way to I don't know I got to see a little bit outside my little world of, mm -hmm. of Hollywood and Manhattan Beach and um hmm. yes they were she's just so beautiful and so lovely and yeah. I was going to say when you're talking about West High and stuff I we used to play them and I went to Aviation High which is torn down now um, um, and then my brother went to Miracosta but okay. um, my little brother but um, most of my friends went to Bishop Montgomery was oh, that okay. still there when you went <laughs> I, that sounds familiar yeah because you know Torrance we, is close we to all Manhattan went to American Martyrs the, the Catholic school in Manhattan Beach. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's still there, but. Okay. Wow. Um, and then what was I just going to ask you? Okay. Well, let me just go back. I have to tell you, I don't know if you follow Bruno Amato. He's running against Kevin McCarthy and he's in <gasps> Yellowstone, which is just funny. And he's been on the show too, which is pretty what? cool. Yeah. Get out. No, I didn't know. And he must beat him. <laughs> <laughs> He must win. He must. And he's really, he's so cool. I love him because he's just literally, he's an actor. He's a working actor. I think he came to it late. And, but, you know, he's happy. He's kind of like a, like you, a German actor. Um, and he just decided because he, he chose to move to Bakersfield for two reasons. Number one, I think his girlfriend, he was in L.A., but his girlfriend lives in Northern California and he has to be close enough to LA. So he thought, well, you know what? Bakersfield is inexpensive and you know, it's closer to my girlfriend. And so that's where Kevin McCarthy, that's his district. And Bruno was just like, you know what? I never wanted to be a politician, but fuck it, man, this guy's a traitor and somebody has got to run against him. Nobody ever runs against him. So it's, oh, it's so funny. He's such a traitor. Yeah, he's oh such a traitor. Oh, my gosh, how do I support his campaign? I'll start following him as soon as we hang up. <laughs> okay, yeah, just Bruno Amato, A-M-A-T-O. And he's such a nice man. You know, he's, oh. he, he, he literally wishes that someone with more experience might come along. But I think that, you know, because he, he just figured I'm just a person who wants to make a change. And even though I've never been in politics before, um, this guy's so bad. And if nobody else is going to run against him, I'm going to run against him. And, you know, I think he's also uh, military. I think he was in the Navy a long time ago. So he and he's got the union kind of background thing. So he's he obviously he's well versed in what he's doing, but he's certainly somebody who just, you know, there are so many of us. I'm not one of them, but so many of us that because of Donald Trump, people are like, I'm just getting in the race. I got to get in the race because this yeah. is ridiculous. And yeah, but yeah, he's in Yellowstone and he just, he posts really cool um, 
Instagrams, although he told me he was on my show before and he's like, my Instagram is private. Cause I told him he should <laughs> like, everybody should go to your Instagram. He's like, but it's private. Okay, okay fine. But um, he's so cute. Uh, just so you know, though, it's funny about that is that my Instagram was private till about a year, year and a half ago because I, I didn't even know it was private. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess I should open this up. <laughs> so, oh, my um, God, that's funny. But, oh, I'm, I am going to follow him and support him. And, and um, I don't have any political aspirations, but I do like screaming at the top of my lungs yes, about, me too. Um, and, and banging the gavel and pounding the drum and and I like to try in my own little way to amplify the people that I think are out there telling the truth yeah. and and you know trying to save our country mm-hmm. and our democracy and I know that people I have people in my life that are like that's an exaggeration yeah we've got guardrails for these things no, and we're we like don't. no we don't no we don't we don't our guardrails aren't good enough we're we we're one more you know wild turn on the icy road away uh-huh. from like, yeah and I mean it's like, it doesn't take uh, the I'm sorry, everybody who's listened to my podcast for years, you've heard this story. I'm not going to go into it, but I used to live in Soviet Russia and my father was a ABC News cameraman. So I had that experience in 1981. And what that showed me is a nation filled with people who are they were living in a prison. Now, I don't think we're going to turn into that, but we're going to basically turn into a modern day Russia, an oligarchy, an authoritarian oligarchy, if the right wingers get their way. And like you're saying, there are so many people that think, oh, that'll never happen here because it's never happened here. And they don't have that experience. And it's like, well, you know what? There are all kinds of things that have never happened. And then all of a sudden they happen. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like there's the first time for everything. And so we have this American experiment. And again, I'm going to repeat myself, but Kamala Harris said on Inauguration Day, democracy has to, it's not something that's guaranteed. You have to fight for it every day. And un- unfortunately, our country is just turning into, I mean, did you see the movie Don't Look Up? Yes. I mean, that's who we are. You know, well, whether you, you know, like the movie think, or not, it's who we are. <laughs> it's that, and I think it's idiocracy. Too. Yes. I just feel like yes. there's, there's some sort of shaming intelligence and praising ignorance. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and people have a right to be stupid. I mean, like, yeah. whatever. It's yeah. just, ah. But I, you shouldn't I be in control like, of and things. And <laughs> yes, and then, now, and then also the stripping women of rights mm-hmm. is, is that should be the biggest red flag mm-hmm. of anybody talking about our democracy right now because that's one of the first things people do is subjugate women mm-hmm. and then they're in control of the breeding process yes and and it right it just that's like that's it that's then we then we just start losing other uh rights and i i, I just find that we're teetering on this mm-hmm. knife edge right now yeah. and yeah it's pretty scary I feel very concerned yeah I'm really concerned and I, I try to I try to avoid because I am kind of my mother calls me the crack of doom and for good reason <laughs> and you know and it's always like I'm always assuming the worst and so lately in the last couple of years I've been working on that trying not to make these assumptions because I 
I've been playing around and I, I have this other show that's just for patrons only called What's Up. A lot of the time I talk about my more of a, it's kind of like my spiritual journey for lack of a better way to describe it. And I don't only talk about that. I talk about whatever I fucking, sometimes I do political rants, but, um, but I talk about um, intentional manifesting. And basically that's just the idea that we all have these beliefs and assumptions, and those beliefs and assumptions create our reality. We have certain thoughts, those thoughts make us feel a particular way, and then we, we seek out what we believe to be true, and we dismiss what we don't believe. And it kind of goes back to the idea of, you know, I like to use this example in, in, um, in talking about intentional manifesting and, and talking about these limiting beliefs that human beings we put on ourselves that like I watched this documentary I think it was called the last blockbuster it was the last blockbuster store there was this guy he was an actor and he was talking about it and saying you know I was an actor and I'd been on like 85 auditions and I hadn't gotten anything and then I find the first thing I got was this blockbuster commercial and then I never had a regular job again and so what I took what I take from that is that so many people would say, you know what? I went on 60 auditions and I never got anything. I'm not meant to be an actor. They believe it. While if, you know, this guy, if, it, if this guy would have said at the 60th audition, hey, I'm just not, I'm not booking anything. I'm never going to make it. That's an assumption that he's created based on these experiences that told him, one, you know, you didn't get it this time, but he waited and on, on that 86th audition, he got it. And then his life changed and he did what he wanted to do. And so I think that carries over into the collective. We make these collective assumptions and I, it drives me fucking nuts when I see Twitter doomers. You know, yes, I am the crack of doom, but I also recognize but that if we keep projecting, if we keep putting it out there that Democrats are going to lose, that's, that creates a, an expectation. It creates a belief. And then we fulfill it. We wind up fulfilling it because that's the narrative that we're living by now. And it's like, I just won't do it. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. I know what could happen to this country. And it's so, it's like, if, if it does turn in the direction of authoritarian, my boyfriend and I, for our livings, we do our political <coughs> podcasts. And right. I don't know that I could do that anymore. And I don't even know what the hell's going to happen. And, um, you know, so it's like, I, I, I try when I'm on line when I'm not being sarcastic and screaming at Ted Cruz, <laughs> it's like I try to, and you know, tell people let's not jump to the assumption because it's not over yet. You know, like this whole thing with the Voting Rights Act, which is scaring the shit out of me, and I really despise Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. But it's like there is an opportunity that the Democrats have to do a talking filibuster, so it's not getting rid of it. It's not even a carve out. It's just. They all have to stand there. I think a certain amount of them would have to stand there, 40 of them or whatever, and talk and talk and talk until they can kill the bill. And I don't think they can do that. And I think the talking filibuster is still something we can utilize and perhaps see, you know, see these bills pass. Until, until you know, I mean, we, w we only have a certain period of time to get rid of, uh, to get rid of gerrymandering. We're yeah. going to need some time. So I think if we don't have this by the summer, then I'll start, you know, getting okay. in a fetal position and sucking my thumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, that makes me feel a little bit hopeful, what you just said. Yeah. You know, where I go, okay, okay, tiny bit. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I'm going on that hope too, because uh, I just, I don't, I remember in 2020, there were so many people who said Trump, Trump's going to win. And it's like, I'm not going there. 
I don't know that he's going to win. He, he might win, but I'm not jumping to that assumption. Because I think, right. you know, our thoughts are things, and our thoughts are very powerful. And when enough of us have that same thought, we just, it's manifest destiny. We create it ourselves. And so I'm, you know, I'm just going on that thing where it can be, and I do, I don't talk about this too much, but I have a friend who's psychic, and she, she said to me, and like I used to call her when I was younger, Basically, I would call her about guys, and I just wanted to pacify her because I was anxious and I wanted answers, and whatever answer she would give me, it never satisfied me, but it was just literally a pacifier to shut me up for that minute, and then I would, you know, quiet down, and then I would feel anxious later and call her later. Anyway, right. so I've remained friends with her, and I don't really have psychic readings with her anymore, but I do ask her about politics, and she was correct in 2016. She thought Trump would win, and she was correct in 2020. She kept insisting that Biden was going to win. And the funny thing was she, I'm trying to get this before Kamala, she, and she didn't really follow politics. So she didn't know names. She, she knew of Joe Biden, but she didn't like know senators' names and she wasn't following at all. So before Kamala, I think it was before and after Kamala uh, like decided she was going to drop out of the primary, my friend kept saying, I see a light-skinned black woman. And I would ask her about the presidency. And she'd say, I, I see a lot. And I, I'm like, well, there is Kamala Harris, and she's running. And then she dropped out. And I'm like, but she dropped out. She goes, I don't know. I keep seeing her. I just, get, and I, just I don't know where she, what she's going to do, but I just keep seeing her. And then, obviously, Joe Biden chose her to be his running mate. And then, and now she's the vice president. Um, and so now my friend is insisting, insisting that, that we're going to be okay oh. in – and, and I mean, obviously, it's with a grain of salt. You know, you never, she's been wrong. So, but she's been right politically more than she's been wrong. In fact, I don't even think she's been wrong politically. Um, so she insists, because the other day I called her and I was really freaking out. And, I'm, and, and she goes, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, I'm terrified that we're going to lose Social Security. We're going to lose Medicaid. We're going to lose voting rights. There's never going to be a fair election. I'm not going to be able to do my job. And she just said very, very, very matter-of-factly, that's not going to happen. And I said, are you saying that because you, you just think that or you feel that psychically? And she said, I feel it psychically. And I'm like, okay, I'll call you in a week and ask you the same question. <laughs> 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 so I'm just oh trying God. to okay. go with that. <laughs> you know what? I feel like drastic times require drastic measures, yes. and sometimes we just need our psychic to tell us yes. that everything's going to be okay. And it is with the grain What's of salt. Her <laughs> it is with the grain of salt because you know you never know. But I will say this about her. I mean, she's been wrong. She's definitely been wrong. But but she, there was this one guy that I was going out with, and we broke up. And I was just, of course, I was a mess. I was in my 30s. And I think I knew that he had a girlfriend, or I think she told me that he had her. I can't remember what it was, but I told her, I don't want to know. I don't want to know the details. And I, I like, like, please don't tell me the details. And then one night she calls me up. She's like, okay, I just have to tell you what I see. And it was about this girlfriend. And, I mean, I'm telling you, she told me how they met, what her profession was, what color her hair was, the length of her hair. Um, there was a number of other details. And it was like it drove me nuts because I had all this information and I didn't know if it was true. So 
I called him up and he was used to me calling him because I was obsessed and I bugged him constantly. But I called him <laughs> up and I, I said, I said, you have, are you seeing someone? And he said, yes. And so I said, uh, did you meet her when you were working? Yes. D does she have uh, shoulder length brown hair and like longer paws? Yes. And I'm like, is she a nurse? And he goes, how do you know this? And I'm like, I'm sure he thought like I hired a private investigator or something. <laughs> and I lied and I go, I just had a dream. I just had a dream. And but it wasn't and it, every single thing she said. And it was like, I couldn't have known this because I didn't know. So it wasn't like she was fishing it out of me. It was just she got this vision or whatever you want to call it. And she just was totally right on the mark. But again, I mean, she's not 100 uh, percent, you know, Right. I, I, I called so many psychics when I was young. I called about my acting career. I called about men. It was just basically, like I said, it was a pacifier to my anxiety and wanting questions answered immediately. And well, um, Yes, it's, yeah. it's wanting somebody that I've imbued with authority and power to mm -hmm. tell me everything's going to be okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I have to say, and I too have been to many psychics, <laughs> much to the chagrin to the Catholics in my family who think I'm talking to the devils. <laughs> yes, but, um, I'm like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but um, I've had so few ever say anything that that was true. And so the two times in my life where literally every single thing happened that the two said mm -hmm. shocked the shit out yeah. of me to where yeah. I was like, oh my God, I was like afraid to go back to them. I was like, that wow. was crazy. Wow. But um uh but most of the time when I was younger they would all say, Oh, you're gonna have two kids, you're gonna be married, <laughs> you're gonna da blah, blah blah and I'm like, not married. Um and gladly so. I, I am an independent woman. Me I do too. live with Steven, but I no kids. I leave that to people that have a more stable lifestyle. Yeah. Um than I do, which is, you know, traveling around all the time and working right. unmarried and not that you have to be married to have kids, but I my desire to create a family was a more traditional mm -hmm. picture, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't mean it has to be that way at all. But right, I, it's so what I you was like, like yeah. well, I'm not married, and I just, I'm, I don't know. I just thought, you know, it's not my. I come from a big family. I have a million nieces and nephews who I live for, and they know they're going to take care of me when I'm old, along with their parents. So I'm, all, <laughs> I'm totally taken care of. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't have any either, and. Um, I mean, I could talk to you forever. It's already been an hour and 10 minutes, and like I, I haven't even touched on Silverado or all these other things, so that just means you're just going to have to come back, and uh, we can talk about those <laughs> things at another time, but it's just so easy talking to you. You're just like Jody, and I, I had a feeling, because it was funny, Jody had said, you know, hey, you should check out Amanda for your show, and I said, is she a good talker? That's always what I want. I want a good talker. And she's like, oh, yeah, she's a great talker. And so uh, and when Jody's on the show, um, I mean, it, e it could easily go into two hours. And, you know, it's like I'm trying to keep my shows from going into two hours because that's a long fucking podcast for people to listen to. Okay. So, but I mean, I, I, totally could, get it. I could totally talk to you all day long because it's so fun. And I knew that I would because I figured we're both Gen Xers. We both had this experience and I desperately miss California. I, I you know, I, li I lived in California for a long time and now I'm back on the East Coast because both of my aging parents are here. And I just figured, plus my boyfriend, his parents are here. So it just made sense. 
and um, you I'm know. actually envious of you. I, I, Stephen and I talk. Stephen does mostly theater. I know mm-hmm. we need to go, and so he's back east. All, <laughs> no all the, we have a tiny, tiny apartment in New York. I mean, tiny. How fun! Um, and he, I, I'm like, let's just let's just do it. He's from back east. I'm California. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to grow old in Los Angeles <laughs> or older. <laughs> Wait, look at see that's I, I you know what I think I'm 19 till I look in the mirror and I'm like ah well don't we remember, all remember <laughs> remember stop being surprised by it <laughs> we all well you know what I totally my mom always used to say I don't want to grow old in in Los Angeles and and then she moved up to Northern California and of course I followed her and lived there for a while and then she decided she was going to move back here because it was just more she could buy a home and and retire. So that was her that was her thing and she moved out here in 2018 so I follow or 2017 I followed her in 2018 and I'm from Maryland originally we went out to California in 77 I was 9 years old and so it's weird to be back because in some in some ways I really like it I I I really love the change of seasons I hate the yeah. summertime more than you could ever know because it's humid <laughs> and it's fucking awful and I hate mosquitoes <laughs> and I hate the bugs and the oppressive humidity that never ends and, I, you know, as a hormonal woman, I moved back here, you know, during my um, menopause. So I'm, you know, the hot flashes mixed Ugh. with with humidity is like oh my, my own gosh. personal hell. I At least I don't have the hot flashes anymore, but it I hate it. But I love <laughs> the fall and I, I do really enjoy the winter, even when it's dark and dank, because I know endless humid summer is coming so I try to like embrace every day (laughs) it's like my boyfriend who is again he's from Virginia and he lived in Pennsylvania for a long time he lived in Hawaii for about five years and then uh went to California and now he's back here so he spent a lot of his time on the east coast and it's like well it's funny we'll wake up in the morning and it'll just be gray and we'll open the the blinds and he'll go another beautiful day <laughs> I'm like, but it is because it's not humid. <laughs> I know my hair's too frizzy for the humid weather, but you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it if that's where we end up. Yeah, well, I mean, every place is going to have something good to offer. And, you know, I, I always wonder when we are no longer with parents because we were fortunate enough to have all of our parents at this point. But, wow. you know, at some point that's going to change. And, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know that I would go back to California, but maybe New York, maybe. That could be fun. So we'll oh, see. It could totally be fun. Yeah, it, it yeah. could be cool. Oh, my gosh. Well, Jody and I are going to have to take a trip to come visit you yes. when, when it's safe to fly. Because I just read the 5G thing, how yes. they're saying it's going to ground all the planes. I was like, good God almighty, it just has to stop. It all, just, everybody needs to take a breath and calm the fuck down. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be super, super fun. That would be so much okay. fun. All right. Well, Maybe I... We'll- I am going to um, let you go. Did you have something to okay. say? I interrupted. No, you. no, no. Just thank you for having me on your show, and of it was course. wonderful to speak with you and oh. hear your stories. Well, if you were here, I'd give you a hug. Um, but of course, it would be a safe COVID-tested hug. So it would be a COVID-tested <laughs> hug. And again, yeah, okay. I didn't even get. I had so many questions for you that I didn't even get to. So I hope one day you can come back. But before I let you go, make sure to let everybody know where to find you, specifically your Twitter handle, or if you have any website or anything like that. Um, my t- Twitter is underscore Amanda Wiss, and um, Instagram is Amanda Wiss, and um, I have a website, amandawiss.com. It's not, it's 
really nothing exciting. <laughs> and well, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm I watched on a, it. A little TV series called The Resonator that's going to start on Amazon Prime. Awesome. Sometime. I see that was yeah. one of the questions I had. Any future projects coming up? So there's that. I'm going to actually, is there any other projects that are coming up for you that people should be aware of? Um, no, just The Resonator is the okay. only one that's solid right now. And when is that available? Um, it'll be available in a couple of months, I think. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank and, you. Um, of course, you can always find me on Twitter. Author Kimberly with the L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E at the end of my name. And all my books are on Amazon. Amanda, it was super awesome talking to you. Thank you so much. Right back at you, and thank <laughs> you for having me. Oh, of course. Anytime. All right, take care. Bye-bye.